TCU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in, Hoist the Colors on this Friday, March 1st edition of the program. Really exciting edition, of course. The Keith LeClaire Classic is here. And we've got coverage of that coming up 94-3 the game all weekend long. Scott Rogers and Coach O will have you covered from Clark LeClaire Stadium as they host Purdue this afternoon, 2 o'clock. So we'll have a somewhat pregame of sorts on this show. But we're going to be talking a lot of football. The schedule dropped right after our Thursday show, so we're going to get into that and much more. As always, we're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Drop us a comment. We're going to, we already had a heated discussion pre-show, so this may carry on to the air. Uh, Joey Football is in the studio. Philip Hilkenton is producing. Joey Football, happy schedule released uh, post- Mortem Day, I guess it's the day after, whatever the official phrase is there. It's but, just uh, Football Friday. I, I'm just going to say You can just say Football day. Friday. Yeah, fo- That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> happy Football Friday with a schedule. How does it feel? Yeah, it's always great. It's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say Christmas in March in this case. I mean, obviously, leap year, so didn't play in this year. So everybody's freaking out over the leap year part. It, it's Christmas in March. You're excited. You finally find out the opponents you're playing. You have like a general vague idea of how things are going to go, but for the coordinators – you know you have Navy week 13. You know you have Army late in the season, so you have some time to prep for their variation of what the nasty set looks like. And Blake Carroll gets a little bit of a sigh of relief that it's not that first opening conference game after you've been prepping for these three opponents who are tough in their own right. We'll get to that. Philip Pilkington, do you have producer Cam set up, and how do you feel about a schedule dropping? Are you as excited about it as I am? I am always excited when schedules drop. I've I've never understood the people that are like, I'm not excited in the schedule. No. Wow, there's a terrible glare on this thing. We are going to have to move this producer cam during the next break. Um, dang it, Michael. I'm blaming Michael. He's the one who likes it on the other side of the glass. But anyway, sorry about that for our radio audience. No, I'm pumped. I love when the NFL schedule comes out, college football, MLB, you name it. I love to look at the schedule. I'm liking that we're getting two Thursday night games. That makes it fun. That gives us some weekends off. You and I were talking about that yesterday, I go. But also on top of it, you know, I love that bye before the Army game. Um, I hate that we're at home the uh, final game of the season because it seems like it always kind of hurts attendance. And it seems like we're always at home that week. It'd be nice to be on the road, but, you know, is what it is. Nothing you can do about it. The only thing I didn't like about it, the schedule, really, and we knew it was going to happen because we already knew the opponents, is that we have to go to that JV Stadium down in Charlotte. I think we should protest the game. Um, unfortunately, now we probably wouldn't win because there's not that minimum seat requirement in NCAA football anymore like there used to be. However, there is a minimum attendance requirement of averaging 15,000 once every two years. They do not meet that attendance. They only have 314 more seats than that 15,000. We should not have to play in that JV Stadium, move it to Bank of America Stadium, or move it to Greenville. That's crap. Don't put me in the same room with Dan already gotten his. <laughs> Philip already getting his rant in. Uh, Joseph going to get his in shortly. I also have a rant about the casual fans. Guys, we have known the opponents for how long now? Like, why are people just freaking out about, wow, this schedule sucks. We're not playing a Power 5 opponent. We've known this. People, if you're an actual East Carolina fan, you should know this. We have. I and mean, I guess when it yeah. lines up 
it doesn't look good. But come on now. We have home and homes lined up to 2032. Like this, this is not one of those things where John Gilbert rolled out of bed and was like, you know what, this year, let's play Liberty at Liberty. This was set years in advance. He's making deals for 2028, 2029. They're moving games around. These are predetermined people. This is not like he was like, you know what, maybe we don't go play at Alabama. That's not an option. That's not a phone call. Listen, there is a website that I'd like to tell everyone about. It's called fbschedules.com. <laughs> Literally Google future pirate football schedules, and it tells you. Here's the crazy thing. For you NFL fans, if you're not a fan of a team around here and you want to see when your favorite team's coming to Charlotte or to Baltimore or to Washington, you can actually see the future NFL opponents as well. Only the same place divisional finishers are on there. You literally know the schedule like six years in advance. It's that way. It's always been that way. I, I don't get it. It's just a jigsaw puzzle. Where you fit in. That yeah. It's not a difference of who you're playing. It's where or when. The casual fans, man, they just uh, sometimes they just got to come on Facebook and, and leave their comments because I guess they don't understand what's going on. But and look, I have no problem with casual fans. Advance, Not everybody has to be as passionate as us, but, but don't sit there and get mad and act like you're as passionate I, as us when you are a casual fan. I've got a problem with it. You know what fan is short for, right? Fanatic. If you're not going to be a fanatic, you can't be a casual. There's no place in between. You can be a follower. You could be an acquaintance of a team, but don't call yourself a fan if you're not going to read up on the new schedules. Yes, I'm fired up today. All these acquaintances reading the schedule, reacting, screw you guys. We need fans. All right. Fly so, kite. Joe, your initial thoughts on the schedule. I will say before uh, we, we give it uh, give it to you for that. Yeah, I agree with Philip. So, two bye weeks because I guess the earlier Labor Day creates a longer season. Yeah. So, two bye weeks. And on top of that, guys – Back-to-back Thursday night games, so that means we get four Saturdays off of uh, working ECU football on those Saturdays. So I'm super excited about that. Just learned that I already have one that I have to uh, attend a wedding for, so that takes up one of those four. But, hey, that's still got three that I can just sit back and watch college football. So, Joe, your your initial thoughts when you saw the schedule, did anything really stand out to you? Yeah, the week off before Army. That People don't understand how huge of a week off that's going to be to get healthy, to leave yourself a little bit more fresh energy in the tank because you're going up and you're playing possibly the 60 hardy, hardest minutes of football there is. The nasty set, the special teams aspect, their defense, all those things. Army didn't finish traditionally where they normally do, but they're always a great program. You're facing two service academies now in a calendar year. This is not one of those things where you can just kind of put it on the back burner. The preparation, taking care of your body, understanding the sets, having that week off to prepare and understand the weather, how that's going to play into a factor. You're on Lake Superior, all these wind chills, these things, those all play in and now you have a week to kind of prepare for that and get yourself into that mindset. So guys, let's do this. Um, you know, we can kind of go through game by game and just give some brief thoughts on it and, and you know, if if we want to, we can go win loss, whatever. But you know, more or less, just give kind of thoughts on the game, like the schedule as a whole. I don't think there's a game ECU cannot win. Now we we talked pre-show, we differed on hey, will ECU be favored? Uh, is this going to be more likely a loss or a win? We'll get into some of that. So Norfolk State, we all agree, should be a win. If it's not, it's going to be a very long year. Cut the program if we don't win that game. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, so that is our. That's probably one of our two, maybe three consensus. All right, that should be a win. And now you get into all right at ODU. To me, that is a you know as much as it pains me to say, it's a toss-up game. I mean, ODU went to a bowl game last year. 
I will preface this by saying ECU went two and ten last year. Look, we expect the program to improve. If the offense comes a long way and the defense is as good as last year, then you know maybe some of these games aren't toss-up games. But I'm just saying, on paper, this is how Vegas is going to look at it. At ODU, you're on the road. I think this is a toss-up game. They won. I think they went six and seven last year. Decent program. ECU probably has more talent, more resources, but this is not going to be an easy game, Joe. No, it's it's never an easy game against the Monarchs. Uh, I want to say it was my freshman year. We went up there and we had to win on a walk-off field goal. Like, yes, the program wasn't where it is now compared to some of the talent and the different things in that and the coordinators. That's a tough game anyway. Going up to that stadium, having to play that brand of football with the, their coaching staff now and what they've prided themselves in. And I think it was two years ago when we played them, and Kuntz was a great tight end. Like they always have some kind of hard hitter, they always have some kind of big home run hitter as far as plays go. It's not going to be a cakewalk that people think just because it's an FCS team, in air quotes. Yes, it's the Sun Belt, but still. This is, I think, a swing game for ECU because, mm-hmm. and look, Every game is technically a swing game. But if you lose to ODU with App and Liberty coming up, that sets up not very well. So this is going to be a vital game, Philip. I think, very early in the season that the Pirates, quite honestly, need to win if they want to have a bounce-back season. This is. And to Joe's point, you know, you, you always talk about that home run play guy. And they can do it when they need points. However, ODU is not a team that usually plays at extremely fast tempo. And so I'm not saying you don't get a lot of possessions, but even if you were the better team on that day, it's hard to get out to a big lead. It's mm-hmm. hard to just blow them out. They're usually a gritty, tough defense. You know, they don't have the fastest corners or the best pass rushers, but they're very disciplined. It seems like they're always very well coached. And like you said, this is going to be a huge game because you do not want to go into that stretch at one and one. Because if you go into that stretch at one and one, the likelihood of coming out of out of conference play at one and three is is pretty high. All right, App State is the next game on the schedule, painted purple, and this is where we got into our heated pre-show discussion. Look, I know App has kicked ECU's tail in Charlotte and in Boone. App has not won in Greenville since 1959. This game needs to be personal for East Carolina. This this needs to become a rivalry game for ECU. I think it is becoming one. And uh, I kind of like it. I think it's the most attractive game on a pretty weak schedule overall from a name opponent perspective. But look, we differed on this a lot. I think this is a game that is a toss up or, you know, depending on how the early season results go, a pick 'em type game in Vegas. You guys think App will be favored or should be favored on past results. So your thoughts on this? We'll go to Joe and then Philip. It's eerily reminiscent to when we played a top 15 NC State team coming in and the pageantry, the hype around that game, the stories, the how this play out, the who remembers where this happened, what happened with this one, this previous coaching staff. None of it plays into it. There's so much pressure as far as internally in that program because you're hearing it from the boosters, you're hearing it from the administrators you're hearing it from the professors like we need to win this game like I've got people who go to App State or I know this person at App State like there's so much around it that you kind of get lost in that fact so I don't want to say these you can't win it the odds are stacked against them when you play this big home opponent like that on a, a streak like that because you're not looking at it as you're playing App State you're playing two previous App State teams you're looking at these things you're looking at those things so many things happened in the first one when you were in Charlotte and what went wrong in that way then you went to App State last year you had a pretty good handle on what you were going to do and then things kind of fell apart you're missing some production 
it's one of those games where I don't want to say ECU doesn't have a chance because they always have a chance considering the schedule we're looking at. But I think App State's favored, and I don't think it's by a lot. It's just one of those things where I think the logical thing is to say this is a pick em based off the talent mm-hmm. of these rosters. And to Joe's point, past years do not affect this year. If past years affected this year, we lost to them in 1959 when they were still an NAIA school. So what does that tell you? But it just seems like if we were the best team in the country, if we were Superman, it seems like App State would be kryptonite. And until we prove that we can beat App, they've just ripped my heart out too many times. Just the way we were treated by their jerk fans in Charlotte, I don't know, man. It's just like prove to me you can beat App because right now they get up for this game. I can tell you they love to beat us. This is their Super Bowl. It really is. I know it sounds crazy to say for a team who historically since jumping up to FBS has won 10 games in all but three of their seasons. They really are a good football team, but they love to beat us. They think they are still little brother to us um, since they've jumped up to FBS, even though they've had more success in that 10-year span. But they want to win this game, and they, they take these in-state games very seriously. Yeah, they do it to everyone. They did it to UNC. They did it, they did it to UNC, to NC State. Yeah. But they always play they one do. per year. Is, yeah, the, we're their team this year. Look, it's time for ECU to, to make it their Super Bowl. I mean, I'm tired of it. Like, ECU's got their tail kicked. This is the most attractive game on the schedule. The place should be pretty packed. By the way, App goes to Clemson the week before, and then they have a Thursday night game, Sunbelt opener against South Alabama, right after playing ECU at ECU on a Saturday. So, Sandwiched in between two vital games for them. Clemson may end up being their Super Bowl this year. But either way, ECU has got to figure out App State. This is the most critical game for Mike Houston and this program to figure out App State. If you get embarrassed by App on your home field, there are going to be a lot of issues. Losing to them in Boone's one thing. Losing to them in Charlotte's another. But you lose at home to App, you're going to have problems. All right. Next game at Liberty. I think this is the toughest game on the schedule. Uh, I know. Now, here's the thing, too. It's, it's not a game ECU can't win. Pirates will probably be underdogs. But Liberty played the weakest schedule in college football this year. Dead last. They beat up on a ton of weak opponents. They got exposed against Oregon, a great team. Uh, they do have their quarterback coming back. He entered the portal. We know Taylor Jackson's there. It's going to be a tough game. You got another rivalry aspect with Jamie Chadwell, Mike Houston. So you got that factor. They've got a long history together. And I think ECU fans will travel to this game with a new non-conference opponent. But this is probably your toughest non-conference game. You know, definitely, at least right up there with that, Joe. Listen, Chadwell's tried to run from us before. You saw how we handled the beach chickens down in Alabama. I think the same thing happens when you go up to Lynchburg. Yes, Taylor Jackson's up there. He's going to bring some previous knowledge. But this is a brand-new offense. He doesn't have knowledge of the offense. They don't know what plays they're going to be running where he can kind of be like, hey, these are their favorite concepts. These are the things you want to do. And nothing against Taylor. That's what you do. When you find that information about an opponent, you try and share it. You try and look for every possible thing you can do to win. So – it gets difficult because they're going to be so concerned about that aspect of it that ECU is just going to handle business. This is a Liberty team that, yes, played the weakest schedule in FBS last year, but also played in the Fiesta Bowl and faced Oregon, where the highest-ranked group of five there is. And now with this new playoff, this is where you need to imprint yourself. You need this big power, or not power five win, but you need this big group of five win where you can sit there and say, hey, if we win out, we have this win, we can be the highest ranked one. So I think Houston understands that weight. I think he takes the boys up there, and especially if they have to bounce back after app, they handle business up in Virginia. 
I think it comes down to one thing. And Philip, I'm oh, sorry. Go okay. ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to ask me? Yep. It's your show. I was just going to say, like, that, that from the standpoint of App and Liberty being tough, you know, G5 games, like, if ECU somehow goes 4 0, all of a sudden in non conference, like, you, you know, I think you're going to have a little bit of national attention on you. Well, you have to with the playoff expansion, right? Because the best G5 team is going to get in. And when you beat two teams who, to Joe's point last year, was one team that was in the Fiesta Bowl, to my point earlier, App, a team who has had so much success winning 10 games or more in eight of their 11 FBS seasons, that's kind of your measuring stick, right? Now, obviously, you got to go in and win your conference, but if you win your conference, does this help you take care of business? The only conference really now that you haven't defeated that you're worried about would be the Mountain West because we know the MAC or CUSA probably won't produce one of these teams. You're worried about the Sun Belt. Um now, the interesting thing about this, yes, they played the weakest schedule in the country last year, but they went undefeated, which means they take care of games they are supposed to win. So it comes down to one thing. Go up there, execute better, play better football, be the better team, you're going to win the football game. You don't play as the better team, they will beat you. They beat the teams they're supposed to beat, just don't be one of the teams they're supposed to beat. Teams, uh, you know, teams are going to change a lot year over year, guys, in this portal era, but we have already covered three of the four bowl teams from 2023 that are on ECU's schedule. The only other bowl team on ECU's schedule from a year ago is UTSA, the conference opener, which will be September 28th, painted gold inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. And I feel like the first half of the schedule is very interesting, guys. I know people have said we're playing nobody. These games suck. But UTSA has been a very good program. They're your home opener and conference play, and it'll be a chance to kind of say, hey, do we have a shot here? Frank Harris is gone. Obviously, we don't know what UTSA's future is uh, to an extended quarterback. I know somebody commented on YouTube. We'll see Owen McCown kid – or uh, Josh McCown, Owen McCown's kid, is now the quarterback there. But uh, I think this will be a measuring stick game right out of the gate in conference play, Joe. Yeah, I mean, Owen McCown has some great tape. And when you have that pedigree of a dad who once played in the league, might I add, for 13 years for multiple teams and has that knowledge, and is now a quarterback coach for the Minnesota Vikings, you know the kind of quarterback play you're going to get. I don't think Trailer would have handed the keys to this kid if he didn't think he was ready. I think he would have gone, gotten that veteran guy in the portal if he thought he couldn't handle it. But ECU's got a bad taste in their mouth, considering how the Alamo Domes and things played out and where they had UTSA on the ropes and how they were kind of figuring some things out as an offense. They had they had them figured out defensively for a couple quarters. And then, obviously, you get tired. You're out there for a while. I think Harrell's going to have that in his back pocket and try and understand that. And then, then playing on grass is going to be a very different atmosphere from playing indoors. So that's going to play into the factor, too. I like the Pirates. Philip, uh, your thoughts on this, and then we'll also go ahead and look at Charlotte. Uh, I, I feel like these first two conference games, we'll get a break in after this, are going to be pretty critical. Like Charlotte made a bunch of moves. Obviously, you got the other in-state rivalry. So, again, home opener versus UTSA and then going to Charlotte, and you've already touched on the stadium situation there. But uh, there's, I think there will be a lot of interest from Pirate fans in both those games. I think there will, and you know, UTSA is the game I really want to call Pirate fans to. You know, it seems like there's always one game where the crowd is clearly better than others. I have a bad feeling that's going to be App um, due to the in-state rivalry, but I think UTSA might be the most important game on the schedule because if you win that game, you stand a darn good chance to win this conference or at least play for a conference championship. To Joe's point, you're playing a kid who 
is not only the son of a former NFL quarterback, but was coached by that father in high school at Myers Park. So uh, I was impressed with him in the bowl game. Yeah, it was his first start. He made a couple of mistakes. But overall, you saw the talent there. And look, man, this is our measuring stick. This is the one team, to your point, I go, in conference play that made a bowl game last year that is on the Pirates' schedule. Yeah, it's amazing, guys, that ECU – gets fortunate they miss USF, Memphis, and Tulane. So, I mean, honestly, if they somehow – let's say you just beat UTSA in the conference opener, like all of a sudden the path is there, and, and we'll see what the rest of these teams do, but there's a realistic path to a conference championship appearance. As crazy as it is to say, all right, let's get a break in. We'll come back and we'll look at the second half of the schedule. We also got to have a discussion about the no-quarter flag. Phillip brought up the point on press row yesterday when EC was getting crushed by Memphis inside Menji's. Shouldn't we have a point where we don't raise a no-quarter flag? We'll get into that discussion and more. This is Hoist the Colors on a Friday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. Check out me, 194.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Friday. We're running through the schedule. Joe Sampson is in studio. Philip Pilkington also there. Twisting the dials behind the glass. We'll try and speed this up a little bit because we got to go to the no quarter discussion as well, and we'll get into that later in the show. And also, we got to do our weekly NASCAR segment. So we've we've already looked at the first half of the schedule, guys. I'll try and group some of these games together. But one game that I feel like is worth talking about solo at Army. You get the bye week before the trip to West Point, and uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm fired up about going and covering this game, Joe, because. Unique atmosphere, awesome setting, never been there, but heard a lot of good things. But, again, people say, hey, the schedule isn't very intriguing, whatever. I think this game is – like the first seven games to me on the schedule are intriguing, including this one. Definitely. Uh, Army is a historic site. I mean, just hearing the things about teams having to go up there and play. They played UTSA last year, so common film there as far as that goes. We the result isn't what you're going to go off, but that's a hard team to play in general. It's a great early test, especially with how heavy that Navy game is going to weigh, considering the weight of senior night and things like that. So you take that part of it out where you haven't seen the offense before. I don't want to say a tune-up game because it's never a tune-up game in college football, but it does give you a chance to get your feet wet in that nasty set, understand some things, try some things out. John David Baker's going to get a chance to see that pressure defense they run a little bit. So I'm excited about the atmosphere of it also. I mean, there's not many stadiums you go to that have I think they hold 25 or 28,000 there screaming servicemen who are in their dress uniforms and just screaming because like if they win they get the night off versus that kind of atmosphere of a bunch of rowdy fans it seems a little different and I'm sure it'll play a little different and I'm excited to see how it plays out So you get the bye week between the two road games again, Charlotte and Army, and then you come back home for two back-to-back home games. Temple, guys, to me, and FAU, like, again, on paper, we're doing this in, in March. So, like, there's going to be a lot that changes. These teams are going to change year over year. But, like, along with Norfolk State, these are kind of the, the games you feel like you need to win to have the season you want to have. Uh, Philip, your take on home games against Temple and FAU back-to-back in that Thursday night game, including uh, against the Owls, or I guess the FAU Owls, since there's two Owls. Yeah, the interesting thing about this one is everything that Joe just said about Army, and if you lose that game, how do you bounce back going into Temple? Because Temple is a game, I think like we said before the show, this is one of three games really on the schedule that 
100% should be a win. But a lot of times teams have those hangovers after playing those service academies. And win, lose, or draw, you've got to bounce back. You've got to get refocused for this Temple game. Now, the great thing is, I believe, that is there a bye after the Temple game before the – before the Thursday night game? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So if you do lose to Temple, the great thing is you now have a bye. Now it's a bye going into a Thursday night game, but still you have a bye to kind of regroup and reset because you darn near better beat FAU. Win or lose to Temple, you better beat FAU, but if you lose, you've got to beat FAU. And FAU plays, I believe, that Friday before, so they don't have a bye. Um, even though they'll have a little bit of time off, they'll still have a shorter week. Why ECU has a bye. All right, then you have a two-game road swing, final road games of the year at Tulsa. Again, second straight Thursday night game. Hopefully a revenge game for the last time at Tulsa and for this past year. Plenty of revenge to be had on the schedule. And then at North Texas, Joe. So two long road trips back-to-back in November. Coach Houston used to always say what they remember in November. Yeah. And uh, if ECU is in the if ECU is in the, in the in the hunt, so to speak, these are going to be two critical games where you're having to do a lot of travel and win on the road. I don't think you're going to face fierce environments, but road games in November are tough. I think North Texas could be not a fierce environment, but one of those ones that you remember. Uh, remember seeing them when they were in their CUSA Fans days. actually there. Yeah, fans actually showing up, unlike Hogwarts. So could be a unique atmosphere for them there to go down to Texas and experience that. Uh, not a unknown road trip. Obviously, we went and played SMU. A little different as far as geographical location, but the time difference stays the same. So, shouldn't be too hard in a November trip like that. Played SMU three years ago in November away, and that was a crazy game itself. So, not a ton to write home about there, but it'll be big for them, especially against that team. Yeah, Russ Walker on YouTube says, if we lose to Temple, cancel the program. I agree. Uh, Temple... Temple sucks. Yeah. That has got to be a win, guys. Um, I don't, you know, I like Stan Drayton, but they have they have struggled. They don't have like any NIL presence. That needs to be a W at home. It's private school up uh, in and Philadelphia then guys, too, so you can't recruit for geographical yeah. location. Season finale, our old friend Navy. It'll be Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, you know we'll see what the Pirates have to play for going into that. I. I you know, the, the game attendance on this weekend always is flat because of the holidays, but maybe with it being Military Appreciation Day and Navy, that helps the attendance somewhat, but still not ideal to to have that game at home unless the Pirates are playing for a championship or something. I just don't think you'll have a great crowd, but got to figure out Navy. Last year, Blake Carroll shut them down, and you know hopefully that repeats, but got to score on them, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, you can't win games zero to zero, I go. Uh, yeah, Harold did a great job holding them. Obviously, some miscues that kind of changed some things. They could have won that game 10-7 to if they would have hit that field goal and then scored a touchdown. Obviously, things played out a little differently to what they were hoping. But Navy's always a game you get up for. And considering the Daffer Dagger uh, and then the overtime loss, you remember Navy. Those losses sit with you a little longer. They sting a little more. And considering what happened up in Annapolis last year, Senior night's going to be a tough one anyway, but to have Navy come in for senior night's going to be some extra fuel to the fire. I'm predicting hardly any fans at this game, with the exception of local people that served in the Navy or the Marines that are not ECU fans, because ECU is over all time against Navy in Dowdy Ficklin. And on top of that, it's Thanksgiving weekend. Attendance is always bad then. 
This is the worst time to have this game. This stinks. Props to John Gilbert for always being in the conference's ear, saying quit giving us home games that week. If you're going to give us a home game that week, American, make it against their stupid 49ers and their JV Stadium. Make them come here to make it a rivalry game, how the Egg Bowl's a rivalry and it, the Civil War used to be until they canceled it because, you know, Oregon decided to move conferences and hit the portal. Now. Yeah, but anyways, that's rivalry week. If we are at home, it better be a rivalry game, but why is Navy coming here that week? Can you guys imagine how scared ECU fans would be? Well, just, just to play the game, everyone's scared because it's Navy. I think we psych ourselves out at this point. But if ECU has like a trip to the conference championship on the line and they have to beat Navy to get there, like that would be uh, – that's like worst-case scenario almost. I don't know why because Navy's not even that good. They haven't it's, had a winning season They have voodoo since, magic, four years ago. It's voodoo magic. It doesn't matter what you do up in Annapolis or you play them down here. Something goes awry. Something falls apart. A screw goes loose on the coach com. A tire goes flat on the bus. It doesn't matter what happens with those midshipmen. They bring voodoo with them. It is so hard to beat Navy. It does matter. There's one – foolproof system to always beating Navy in Annapolis. If it is 35-35 to 35 and you have a game-winning field goal attempt, in those situations, we are undefeated in Navy. That is all of our wins. 38-35 game-winning field goal. So there's, there is one way to get rid of the voodoo. It's true. Sacrifice So move the game goals. to Annapolis and make sure and it's 35-35. Sure yeah, mm-hmm. and then you win. All right, the American Championship, guys, by the way, moved to Friday this year. It'll be Friday, December 6th, so instead of that Saturday, it'll be on the Friday, I guess, a night game, uh, probably ESPN or ABC, so we'll monitor that when the Pirates are hosting Memphis in the Conference Championship. We'll have to cover a game that Friday. All right, um, guys, here's my overall take before we get a break in, and uh, you guys can weigh on this too. After running through the schedule, kind of knew it all along, but it's just there are, you know, the (laughs) – like the floor and the ceiling for me, this may be the most unknown of any ECU schedule because I feel like if you've got a good football team, you could win 10 games or maybe more. But if the offense doesn't improve, there still are some teams capable. I mean, ECU last year lost to Tulsa. They lost to Navy. They lost to a lot of these teams that a lot of people are saying, you know, can't, you know, shouldn't beat ECU this year. App State. Charlotte. uh, Charlotte. So, I mean – ECU's got to win these games, and they have to improve offensively, keep the defense. So you could win 10, you could win three or four. There's just a, a wide range of, of possibilities here. I don't want to say a wide range, but seven and, seven and five is like the floor. Like you need to be above bowl eligibility going into those last three games. Like it can't be one of those we need to beat Navy to make a bowl game. That, that is the minimum – for this season, considering the hype you had built around it, the players you've brought in, the roster manipulation as far as flipping people and getting them to East Carolina through the portal, you need seven wins. You need eight wins, honestly. Eight should be your floor. I'm going to be a little bit less optimistic and go seven considering some of the turnaround and the teams that have improved over the offseason. Yeah, it could be a special season. It could be a very special season for the Pirates where we're singing the fight song come January 1st or something in the Cotton Bowl. But it also could be one of those where you're fighting to make a bowl game, playing Navy, and you got to win 38-35 by a field goal. So there's definitely – I don't want to say a wide range. There's probably three or four outcomes total. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I just think if you're – basically, if, if you don't make a bowl game, I mean, with this schedule, obviously massive changes need to be made. I just think 
everybody's baking on the offense being better because of the changes that have been made, but they got to go out there and prove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. If, I do agree. Like, if you got a decent team, seven wins should be your minimum expectation. But I feel like Vegas will probably set the over-under at four and a half, five and a half, just based on last year. So yeah. you just got a lot of varying factors here. Yeah, I agree. And look, if the offense is half as good as I think it's capable of, yeah, seven wins is the floor. If it's slightly better than we thought it was capable of, the ceiling is the college football playoff. If the offense never finds a footing, the floor is three and nine, and you beat Norfolk State, you find a way to beat two of the following three I'm about to name, FAU, Temple, Charlotte, and Navy, and you win three games. So I think a lot of it comes down to this offense. Look, we know what a Blake Harrell coach defense looks like. Did we lose some guys? Yes. Is it going to stink not having Taylor Jackson? Yes. But at the end of the day, like, we know what this defense is, but it all comes down to the offense. All right, Ryan Cole says, what do y'all think is the floor of wins for Houston to keep his job? I think bowl game, absolute minimum, probably seven, honestly, it's given seven. the schedule. But, you know, we'll see. Um, we'll, we'll have that discussion a lot this offseason and preseason. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. We'll talk no quarter. How ridiculous is it ECU getting beat by 30-plus points or whatever at home? is doing the no quarter with basketball, with football. We'll discuss that. Is it time to change the parameters of the no quarter flag? We'll discuss that and more. Hoist the colors on a Friday. We'll be right back. Here there be pirates. Back to hoist the colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this? On 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on this Friday, March 1st edition. This is March and in accordance with that, we were covering basketball last night. East Carolina Memphis was really hoping for a good performance by the Pirates. Just did not happen. It was an ugly game. Disappointing home showing. Pretty good crowd, almost 5,000 people, and Pirates did not show up. They lose 82-54 to Memphis. No real reason to dwell on the game. So let's talk about more of a big-picture item. Philip Pilkington and I were up on press row in 213. Joe Sampson, by the way, back in studio as well. He'll weigh in on this, too, as a former ECU student-athlete. So the no-quarter tradition is an awesome tradition. Let me start off by saying that. One of the best things about going to a football game and ECU winning in the fourth quarter, no-quarter flag comes down, the video plays, it's electric, especially in a packed stadium. But when you are getting your tail kicked at home, it becomes pretty embarrassing to do this tradition. They've now done it in basketball. They do it at the under-eight media timeout. And Philip said yesterday, is it time to, to rethink this? Or why are we doing this, basically, Phil? So, uh, Russ Walker has called you a negative Nancy on YouTube. I think he's being a little facetious. But I think you, you are on to something here. Is it time to rethink what we're doing with the no quarter? Or should ECU just play it under any circumstance? Um, the biggest reason, and I started saying this as a student, so when I got here as a student, it was the Scotty Moe era. So, I'd always heard about how great no quarter was – and you know, packed Dowdy Ficklin. Now, when I got here, Dowdy Ficklin wasn't packed at kickoff. And by the time the fourth quarter started, and we were like doing the no quarter flag in the student section, the cheerleaders had to recruit kids that weren't sitting what would be under the no quarter flag to come over so that we could get the no quarter flag up. Like we'd be down by 40 points doing no quarter. You're taking no quarter? No, they're taking no quarter because you're down by 40. Like it's embarrassing. Like I want to set it at a specific point number. In football, probably two touchdowns, and in basketball, what makes it hard is stranger things have happened. You know, right? Like you think of the Northern Iowa 
Texas A&M tournament game from a few years back. 44 seconds left. Northern Iowa's down by 12. They're going to 14-2 run, force overtime, win the game. But ECU's offense and basketball is not coming back down 20 to Memphis or anybody. If they were playing the school of the blind, down 20, this offense isn't coming back. Football, like, come on. Like, I love football. And it's, it's like you said, when it's a hopping stadium, we're playing NC State, we're playing a conference game. Heck, if we're playing an FCS game and half the people have left, but at least you're winning, it's fine. But when you're down, like, there was no joke times. I was still, we were down by 30 points saying we're taking no quarter. No, we're taking our tails tucked between our legs and going back to the locker room. We're down by 30 freaking points. Come on. It's just dumb, and it's embarrassing. You know the other team's laughing at us. I mean, I'm sure Memphis's media was laughing at us on Media Row. Like, they're, like, doing this no-quarter thing, and the students are just like, hmm, just kind of sitting there. None of the students are hype. Most of them have left. Like, it's embarrassing, man. I, props to CG for not letting baseball do it. I mean, I, I know I'm, like – I, I'm, I'm a new ECU fan. I get that. I've only been here seven years. And don't get me wrong, it's cool when it's only. working. But, well, but back in the hype days, I haven't seen the hype days of ECU. Minji's maniacs cannot call themselves maniacs nowadays. Back in the day, from what I understand, they were maniacs. Dude, there's like 10 people standing up. Come on. Football su- student the section. Minions now. I know. But the football students. Oh, there's yeah. Like I hate our students when it comes to football, by the way. We could be playing a big game, <laughs> oh, and the boy. difference in the student section is. After the first quarter, they all leave after the first quarter, or at least by halftime, even in close games. I think now part of that's due to smartphones and people having a less attention span. But, dude, in like 2010, we'd be losing, and they would still be packed. The student section always leaves at halftime, no matter who we're playing, unless it's like NC State. Man, this is not the Greenville, North Carolina was sold on. And I'm not trying to hate on the alumni because they still do great. They show up, but the students, man, the students nowadays stink. Take that hat off. Yeah, take that hat off. Are you even an ECU fan? Do you want to go to Duke instead? No, Duke's way too liberal for me. I don't want to go to Duke. Uh, go to Boulder. Go, go oh drive gosh, no! I definitely don't want to go to Boulder. <laughs> Heck no, they'd kick me out of Boulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All, All right, I'm done. I, I'm done with my ranting. Go ahead, guys. I'll mute my mic. Do for I need to hide this? Like, do I need to cover this up now? Phillips public enemy. No, it's. I'm gonna rouse people. Yeah. Up. Like I said, I just want the fans to be passionate. I was always sold about how passionate ECU fans were, and the, the old heads still are. People like 30 and up still are, but people who went to school when I was here, 30 and, and up, baby, and and younger are are terrible fake fans. Like, dude, I stayed till the end. When I was a student, even though I didn't grow up an ECU fan, I stayed till the end of every football game. We were down by 40. I stayed till the end. We shouldn't have been doing no quarter. You unplugged your mic, Joe. I need to come back. Unplug your mic yeah, and replug it in. You you unplug. I kind of like Joe talking when I can't hear him. Yeah. Like, How about now? Yeah, now we can hear. All right. What do you, what do you need to say, Joe? Yeah, oh, I said you. I stayed for everyone too, Philip. It's not that big an accomplishment. You you, you would have lost. Well, you weren't. You didn't have a scholarship, anyways. Never mind. It's <laughs> fair point. Um, <laughs> all right, Joe. Before we get your take, oh boy, let me read the official no quarter definition from the ECU site. All right, if a ship refused to surrender. They risked the wrath of the pirate ship's crew. Once a battle began, the Jolly Roger was lowered and replaced with a no-quarter flag, signifying that the pirates would now take no prisoners and give no quarter to their enemy. The no-quarter flag often featured the skull and crossbones or other characteristic marks of the Jolly Rogers, but of course the, the two flags could be distinguished because no quarter had the red, Jolly Rogers was black. All right, so here's my point. If a ship refused to surrender... They risk the wrath. So nobody's going to surrender when they're up 30. Obviously, ECU mentality standpoint, as a pirate 
you don't want to surrender either. But how about we just can the no quarter thing if you're trailing by 20 or more points in basketball or football in that situation? No. Or what's your take on it, Joe, as just, a former student athlete? Just can it if you're not football. It's going to rile a lot of people up here. Football doesn't do the safety dance unless baseball is getting their rings on the field. We don't have the third quarter hit and we're doing the safety dance because that adds up. We don't have club chaos before kickoff the same way basketball has it before tip-off. Have your traditions. Use them in different ways. Nobody is going to intermingle in these kinds of things. No quarter is a football thing. We literally have a flagpole that looks like a ship mast where we raise a no-quarter flag. The whole point of taking no-quarter and having no surrender applies in football. If you're going to do it in basketball, don't do it at the under-eight media timeout. Do it at the under-four because that's going to wind up sitting at like 248, 307, one of those things with that last media timeout. That's when you're taking no-quarter. Not eight minutes left. You're going to have two or three more rotations. You're going to have this kind of late-game situation where it's 56 seconds. It takes five minutes, which is its own fight in basketball ball might I add if you're going to do it you need to apply it the correct way football taking no quarter in the fourth quarter makes sense it is quite literally the last quarter it is the last opportunity if you're doing it in the under eight in the media timeout you still have another media timeout how are you going to take no quarter with another media timeout in four minutes that could be a completely different basketball game I got to catch myself there baseball they don't do it before the ninth inning yeah we play narcos we have our little moments we do the safety dance we have Jay Hunter come out and do jumping jacks which is hilarious by the way we sing take me out to the ball game baseball's not built for no quarter CG understood that he didn't want to play into something that wasn't their own that's the thing ECU's trying to capitalize on different things for different sports knowing that it doesn't work for one another we're not raising the no quarter flag at a swim meet we're not doing it at tennis we're definitely not doing it at golf Know the way it's supposed to run. I want to see Kevin run Joe, out on the 18th green with a no quarter flag. That'd be awesome. Match. Hey, he should. That is true. Like, have you? Are you sure that they don't do it in tennis? Have you verified that? I'm pretty sure. I know multiple tennis players. I've actually been okay, to a match. I go. Have you? Have you supported all I these ECU programs? I have not. No. You don't I have, have one off. On I, I won't show. tell you. Take your pirate hat off. You don't have one on today, but. Talking about fake fans, man. But, Joe, do you feel like there should be a total? Like, if y'all are losing football 49 to 10, do y'all really want to raise the no quarter flag? What's the thoughts on the sideline there? So, it's changed throughout years. Like, my freshman year, it was a rough one. We were down to Temple on that blackout game, and we raised the no quarter flag. I think it was like 39 to 20 or 38 to 21 or something. And we're like, this is. This is moronic. And then we've had moments where we've had the comeback in the fourth quarter. You've kind of fought through it. Like we raised a no-quarter flag down to Charleston Southern. Obviously, that game played out a little differently than we had hoped. But you come back like it's a point of pride as far as that goes. I think for football, it makes a lot of sense because there's so much that can happen in the fourth quarter. We've seen 28-point comebacks. We've seen 21-point comebacks. There's no instance where you think, okay, you're completely out of this game. If it's like 56-10, to 10, yeah, don't raise no quarter. I completely agree in that regard. But I don't think you can put it at like a limit of two touchdowns or three touchdowns. Like crazier things have happened in football. The point is it's a mindset shift. If it's over three scores, yeah, like 28 I wouldn't raise it. 24, I think it's the same thing. Don't raise it. But you're also building traditions and trying to bring the fans into it. They do the light show. Football, I think, is a little different of an argument. But basketball, I completely agree. It shouldn't even be a part of it. All right, Ryan Cole, a uh, few, few comments. on. we got to get a break in. But uh, Ryan Cole says he thinks the students were actually way better with attendance this season than the record deserved. 
I agree with that. They still leave early, but I think that's a cultural problem across college football. Ryan also says, while we are talking about traditions, please, for the love of God, drop. Don't stop leaving. Also, please. That's never going to happen, Ryan. That's Mike Houston's favorite song. We played at practice. It's not going to happen. He told us his first day. Whatever of the playlists that you want to. I don't know why it's cutting out. We will have Don't Stop Believing no matter what you put on it. So that's never leaving. Please get Bon Jovi out of Daddy Ficklin Stadium. Maybe play it once a year, not every game. Uh, Russ Walker also says, I go. That's why Rivals is better than 24-7 because you do not go to tennis matches. Rivals doesn't even have a freaking ECU rider, Russ. Get out of here. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back, and we will wrap up the show. we got to talk NASCAR, our weekly NASCAR segment. Maybe Joe will eat another shoe as well. This is Hoist the Colors on Friday. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. Think of me, Aussie Joe Ho. 194.3, the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Friday. Got a few minutes left. We've got to get our weekly NASCAR segment. We'll do that here to close the show. We've had a crazy, fun show. As Joe has yep. made a wardrobe change yet again, as he often does. Uh, we've talked no quarter. We have talked ECU football schedule. Joe, what are you wearing? I was a Daniel Ricardo racing jersey from when they had the uh, Coda America in Texas. When he was with McLaren, it's a football jersey that says his name on the back because it is football Friday, but it's also Formula One Friday. I go race happens tomorrow with Ramadan in the Middle East, so they are not racing on Sunday. They're racing tomorrow. All right, good stuff there. Uh, so is this the Pennzoil 400? That is the official name of the, the Vegas race, Philip. And yep. uh, yeah, it looks like Kyle Larson is the betting favorite, 21-5. to five. William Byron, Christopher it's Bell also never up bad there, bet. Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney. What do you think, Philip? You, you've given kind of a scouting report this week. Do you have a favorite going into Vegas? Um, with the speed we've seen from the Fords in qualifying, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be biased towards the Fords. I'm gonna go Joey Logano. He's won at this track before. It's a Pennzoil 400. He's a Pennzoil guy. I think it's the uh, perfect lineup for him. As long as he doesn't cheat this week, you know he's been cheating the last couple of weeks with his with his webbed glove. But I think he's good. And Joe's over here pumped that I said Joey Logano. That webbed glove thing is absolute nonsense. He, he wasn't even covering the vent. Like they went back and watched the onboard. It wasn't even a true cover of the vent. He was just like holding it to block the bottom part of it. As far as the airflow, they had a problem. As far as the vents go, he, no part of that is going to gain enough speed to win in qualifying, but that's another fight. But the fight in Paisano in Las Vegas, it is a Pennzoil 400. It is Joey Logano's week. Hopefully, Ryan Blaney can, uh, if he is running near the front, actually win this time. That was painful last week, but uh, I won't be mad at another top two. It's going to wind up being Christopher Bell. For, for no reason. It's no, the Toyotas have had no speed in qualifying. I'm worried about them. That flat nose that they've got on this new car, I'm honestly worried about them on these aero tracks. We'll I'm, see what happens. I'm not worried at all. I hate Toyota. There you go. Except Drew. Philip is worried. Joe, not worried. And I uh, appreciate you guys today. We have run out of time. And we'll have you on again next Friday, of course. I'm sure we'll find some other controversial topic to discuss along with, uh, along with some NASCAR. But thanks to Joe Sampson. Thanks to Philip Pilkington as well. Again, we got the Keith LeClaire Classic coming up. That will start here shortly. Two o'clock, first pitch for ECU Purdue is the scheduled time. Scott Rogers will have you covered along with Coach Joe on 94.3. The game and listen to action all weekend long. We'll be back with you Monday, 12 noon. We'll talk to you then. This has been Hoist the Colors. Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all.